0: welcome to extended clip episode 52 i'm one of your hosts eddie averill
1: i'm malcolm Baum. i'm jt white
0: and calling in all the way from philadelphia a friend of the podcast uh tim tooey what's up how's it going pretty good we're glad to have you here uh JT, you are a uh, a past collaborator of our guest today. Is that correct?
2: Oh uh, yes, Timmy and I uh, go way back. Um, he's my other friend from college that isn't Nico. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, swear uh, <laughs> <air. laughs> Um We've like worked on some scripts together and whatnot. Uh, generally collaborated on friendship as
3: well. Ah, <laughs> love you too, man. <laughs>
0: You know what they say about friends in college. Everybody gets two. Um, (laughs) So the films that we're going to be talking about today are uh, Speed Racer, the 2008 film by the Wachowski sisters, and Office Space, the 1999 film by Mike Judge. Um, Tim, do you want to tell us a little bit about your selection here, why you paired these films together?
3: So, uh... I, I chose these two. For one thing, they're just both movies that I love. Um, and Office Space, in particular, has been like a long-time favorite comedy of mine. Uh, but I, I paired the two together because I think that both of them are, are weirdly, interestingly connected as being movies about... Um, Capitalism in the past the near past which is what i think office space is and capitalism in the near future which i think is what speed racer represents as well as how uh capitalism uh bends reality for the people experiencing it
0: uh yeah i think that's definitely an apt way of putting it and uh, i think that last uh Flavor of reality There is the uh, the connective tissue Being the for all of us I guess uh, reading a little bit of Mark Fisher and uh, Capitalist realism recently Or at least refreshing for the pod For those who have already read it
1: I just read the
3: excerpt because I don't read Much but it, it a good <laughs> It's not a bad book to read it's only like 70 Pages
0: I mean Malcolm do you want To be known as someone who only does the minimum
3: <laughs> uh... <laughs> You know, some people like to read the whole book. <laughs> this uh, office
0: space, you know, I, I think I missed the message, and I'm just, like, getting really into being part of the professional managerial class now. And uh, that's my new goal in life. <laughs>
3: wow.
1: I just want to dominate other small people, you know? <laughs> wow,
3: showing up late for your white-collar job seems awesome. <laughs> That's like all I got
0: out of this movie when I first watched it as a 15 year old I was like hell yeah man this is a slacker quitting
3: your job oh man this is a fantasy film <laughs> Yeah it's just like half-baked <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting ahead of ourselves though
0: yeah we're gonna start with Speed Racer Speed Racer is a film that was uh, unfairly maligned to say the least this is a uh, an adaptation of a classical cartoon. And, uh, you know, on this show, sometimes we say that cartoons are for babies. But this time, <laughs> we were able to open our hearts to a little uh, computer-generated animation in, within this film. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like if you exist within a certain sphere of... Uh, online cinephilia. This isn't a maligned movie. This is like a canonical classic. You know, there's not much left to reclaim at this point. I think everyone knows that Speed Racer kind of fucking rules,
3: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should. Yeah, <laughs> we, we about to teach them if they don't. <laughs> I,
1: honestly, like you know, people maligning this back then. I, I don't agree with them, but, like, I just watched this movie, like, ten minutes ago, and my head's still spinning. So, like, maybe they just were knocked out <laughs> stupid.
3: Oh, no, I, def- I definitely get it. Like, I I think this movie is, uh, for lack of a better term, ahead of its time in many ways. Um, especially in how it used com- uses computer imagery. Um, and I think, I, I just, I don't think, especially, like, the critic class of 2008 just was not really... Uh, uh ready to appreciate something like this something that uses computer animation not to necessarily make something quote unquote realistic looking but to to you know have have like a formalistic approach to using the technology
0: and i think that the the people who disregarded this film were you know more self-serious about realism and, uh, I guess, content more than form in this. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you look at the content a little closely, this isn't just a stylistic, you know, bombastic experience. This obviously is. Uh, A very, uh, I guess, astute film about the corporatization of anything that anybody can have any passion about under capitalism. And uh, it's a really sad film in that regard. And I think just laying that aspect of it on top of uh, really what is kind of a a family melodrama with a lot of comical moments and racing scenes is a combination that I guess people just weren't ready for. Uh, but obviously, yeah, it really works.
3: Yeah, and it was a combination uh, made in a lab to to pleasure nerds like me, uh, <laughs> yeah. who, who I, I very much agree with a recent... I forget what movie it was on, but Nico recently put up a letterbox review where he said, uh, at this point, I basically only want to watch movies that are cartoons or essentially cartoons yeah and usually
0: exactly like as I said earlier usually I would not agree with that uh, <laughs> as Nico knows about me but uh, yeah this is just like uh, I know it when I see it in terms of the M word uh, which is masterpiece of course Nice, and uh, yeah, th- this is one that like going back to it I kind of almost dreaded because of how heavy uh, the melodrama Was and how hard it hit me the first time I watched it. You know, early on, uh, you know, you are exposed to everything through flashbacks within a racing scene. Uh Uh, You learn about kind of every member of this nuclear family and just like laying the groundwork uh, for the dramatic arc of this film. All while Speed Racer is just completely kicking everyone else's ass and just racing his brother's previous time record uh, with the hologram of his car, kind of like in racing games when you play oh, time yeah. trials. And uh, that is just like such a amazing way to enter into the world of this film.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh man. the my favorite part of the opening sequence is when he is closing his eyes at his desk in school and he's imagining himself racing, and you literally see the already quite a uh, uh, colorful set around him, practical set, literally stretch forward into these lines that become like the zooming zooming lines of him racing. Uh, and that's that's one of the the main things about, like, formally, that I love about this movie, is, uh, is how it's not just about, you know, oh, we're going to use computer-generated imagery to sort of mimic the visual style of anime, uh, but it's a literal, you know, like stretching and bending, and the plasticity of reality, I think, not only makes it interesting visually, but of course has a lot to do with what the movie deals with uh, narratively.
1: Yeah, I feel like they're using computer-generated images to create like a new, like cinematic language. Like it's just like the way people will glide across the screen, and like there's no uh, no reverence held to the 180 rule, rule or coverage or bullshit like that. It just truly fucking warps my mind. I can't even really talk about this movie right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you said about the the uh, fil- the characters gliding across the the screen. I mean, that's kind of like. Using a new type of uh, a wipe transition, not unlike, you know, the ones that George Lucas was so horny for. But this time around using a face instead of a line in the screen and being able to emote so much more narratively and uh, aesthetically through that little editing move. And also hold on as I pull up some a quote off of my phone. Uh, here we go. Friend of the friend of the podcast, Seth from the Hot Box of the Cinema podcast, uh, sent me a quote about the making of this film. In cinema, a sentence is a cut. It's from the beginning of one cut to the end of another cut. My brain doesn't have sentences. We were trying to get a way to express that visually, and I think that this film kind of does approach its visual ideas as just a sequence of ideas that never really stops you know uh even flowing from one set piece into another and that's why you know that's why this film works on such a uh kind of momentum based level uh heading into the finale
2: i mean it's just like with it's crazy to me i mean i understand why this would be abrasive to like i mean even just like the shit level critics in 2008, but like from a standard of seeing digital versus film and like the evolution and the way the Wachowskis are exploring new possibilities, like what Malcolm said about like the thing that takes me back about this film every time is they're just tearing shit down and building a new in such a beautiful and organic way that like, is so fluid and full of life you get caught up in all of the melodrama and it just like it's it's the perfect unity of everything they're trying to do
0: so does anyone want to go through quickly kind of
3: like what the plot of the movie is i'm gonna do this as best i can i'm, I'm not exactly what you, what, you, what, you, what, you, what you would call sober if you can't fucking tell <laughs> um <laughs> so you have speed racer which is a hilarious name for a person um and who like imagine if he wanted to do something else um but uh you have speed racer he's uh the little brother of um i forget the the brother's actual oh. original name rex yeah rex that's right yeah Uh, and he's like the best racer ever. Um, all that Speed Racer can think about is- is automobile racing, as his teacher puts it. And he grows up into quite the good racer himself, and he gets visited, uh, by Mr. Royalton, of Royalton Industries, which is kind of the premier, uh, car- I don't know if they manufacture the cars, but the parts of the cars in all of the races. Uh, in this crazy futuristic anime world, um, and he offers him a uh, a deal of you know becoming uh, not not a buyout. He he makes he pains himself to to specify that it's not a buyout, uh, but just working with the company. And I own everything. And Speed Racer and his family are a little bit hesitant. They have a uh, natural predisposition to uh, not trust big corporations because they're normal people
2: one of my favorite things there is just like how explicit uh, the message is like right from the beginning in that respect oh, yes. like John Goodman like pretty explicitly says that mm-hmm. Royalton has too much money and that like mm-hmm. people who have like too much money like that uh, have a tendency to try and play by their own rules or like create yeah. their own rules be honest, Royalton, I'm feeling more intimidated than impressed. This kind of company
3: scares me. People like you have way too much money. When someone gets that kind of money, they start thinking that the rules everybody else plays by don't mean squat to them. Yeah, I actually wrote that down in my, like, notes when I, that mm-hmm. I was taking when I was watching this movie for this. Uh, was John Goodman's line about uh, people like you have way too much money. Um... And yeah, that's like that. That gets me to something about this movie that I've seen as a very uh, typical sort of um, criticism of it, which is that it's corny. And I feel like there are a lot of movies where they get maligned as corny, and to me, it's just the story being good, and and like and like actually um, actual emotional involvement in the story.
0: Yeah, I mean. I- I I'm one who often does not get emotionally invested in movies, but I'm still able to, you know, appreciate them. Uh, but I think anyone who calls this corny is a bit, uh, I mean, as a derogatory thing is like scared of melodrama as a genre. Yeah. Like, uh, if you think that's corny, then I don't know what to tell you, man. You're going to miss out on a lot of good movies.
1: Also like not recognizing formal qualities. And, yeah um, i mean
0: come on are you only watching movies for the story like, <laughs> <laughs> and and i feel like me. i feel
1: like what i like about speed racer is that like there are a lot of like hollywood movies that have like a general anti-corporatist message but i feel like this one goes to you know certain lengths to make sure like this is the emotional core of this movie how like Corporations are ruining everything that you love.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh yes, and like uh, that's one thing that I think is interesting between this movie and Office Space, because uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves with talking about Office Space, but that movie is more about just someone dealing with the conditions of capitalism. Uh, You know, it's it's not like the villain of Office Space isn't the same as the villain of this movie. This movie pits our protagonist very directly against like the top forces of of capitalism and uh it does not make any bones about its message and i don't know maybe at the height of the bush era yeah maybe a bunch of rich fucks who are hollywood like film critics thought it was heavy-handed and and overplayed but i i only see it as uh as you know powerful and and prescient
0: yeah i mean like prescient to the point of i mean occupy was what two years later (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, for real. But also, I think one of the most effective scenes in this for me is when Speed Racer is being lured uh, by the big corporation and in his kind of uh, what would be called a sob story about why he's going to decline the offer, there's this beautiful flashback of him with Pops uh, watching a race late at night.
3: So I sat with him there watching old Ben Burns coming around the last turn of the 43 pre and- all of a sudden, Pop started screaming. And then I started screaming. And as Burns and Stickleton duked it out, heading for the finish, we were cheering our heads off. And the second the black and white came down, we looked at
0: each other and we realized racing's in our blood. And right after that, uh, you know, it's revealed that it's all a sham anyway, and everything's fixed. Yes. Uh, Which is, you know, pretty depressing and obviously can lead him to having, can lead to having, like, a, a very gloomy outlook on everything, obviously.
3: No, he gets blackpilled in that scene yeah exactly (laughs)
0: but when he when he gets an opportunity uh to race in the end when you know the the plot fixes itself for him and he has an opportunity to be in the grand prix and pop says you know what do you say what do you have to say about that mr it's always fixed right Uh, that's a real moment that's a real recognizable moment where like you know how shitty everything is, but there is kind of a glimmer of hope for a second. And this movie just takes it a step further with him actually winning when usually, you know, you don't. Uh, But I I think that moment was really real for me, both when the illusion of what him and his dad had was kind of shattered. And when the hope, even if it's like going to be briefly in a more realistic scenario was restored later.
3: Yeah. Yeah yeah for sure and um i wanted to say about that scene where he's talking to royalton first of all wonderful performance by that guy i think uh as Royalton. oh yeah but uh i love the this thing talking about the plasticity of reality under capitalism uh, in this movie both formally and narratively uh there's this really interesting thing that uh stuff like it happens throughout the movie um with all of you know like we've talked about with people just moving across the str- the screen um you know just not just space but time seems to bend there's all sorts of flash forwards and flashbacks um and specifically in that scene it goes on for a little longer than you expect because when Royalton is telling speed what's gonna happen now that he has declined the deal and he says, you know, we're gonna fix the Fuji race. You're not even gonna finish, um, or you're at least not gonna win. And then we're gonna sue you for IP infringement and all of that. I really love that scene because as he is saying these things, we watch them become reality. And yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, just the way that literally the people at the top dictate the direction of the reality around us and. Uh, this, this sequence where he just, uh, I think afterwards he describes it as being caught in a tailspin and no direction makes sense. It's, you know, you're just thrown into these circumstances completely beyond your control and, uh, this thing you love has had all of the magic taken away from you and cheapened, uh, once he finds out that all these races have been fixed. Um, and, uh, I've just find it to be extremely, like, relatable oh yeah
1: Yeah. i feel like i feel like kind of like the main connective tissue i formed while watching office space and speed racer is that it seems impossible to like to fight the injustices of the world
0: Uh and um Mm -hmm.
1: and like it's especially felt in office space you know in that opening scene where it's like you have a little speed racer moment himself where (laughs) you know he tries to go to another you try to go to another lane and it slows up it seems like there's nowhere to go Uh and uh what i like about speed and they're both kind of different takes on the, the ending of those movies there are different takes on that idea. But I, what I love about Speed Racer, it's kind of just goes for that inspirational, you know, NASCAR sports feel like you can do it. Oh, you know, yeah. You could change shit.
3: Yeah, no, that's why that final racing scene is so orgasmic when he finally crosses yeah. the finish line. It's it's just incredible.
0: Oh, my God, I love it. He crosses the finish yeah. line, and he's just engulfed in the red and white checkered pattern. Yes. And then slowly the fireworks out of focus start to take over the screen from those two colors. And it's just like, it's completely expressionist, and there's no a real center of gravity to the frame for a few seconds there. You don't really know what's going on. You just see color. And it's just like the relief, the exhale after that incredible Grand Prix finale where, I mean, come on, uh, it doesn't get any much better than him saying, get that
3: weak shit off my track. Oh yes. (laughs) Oh yes. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I know I talked about this with JT when I first saw this movie, but like, I just want to take a minute like to appreciate the fact that this is an expensive like CGI visual effects fest that is an actual fucking spectacle. Like that's actually oh, yeah. really amazing mm-hmm. to look at and I'm sad that I didn't get to see this in theaters. Um, but like I just hate with these like with and I you know I know that they are a, a very typical target for criticism. Uh, in in, you know, the film boy realm. But with Marvel movies and stuff, you know, <laughs> these movies it cost like 250 million dollars to make and they just look like flat and boring. and all of this CG technology going to waste on these very like non uh, expressive images, uh, and it's just so, Like inspiring Almost to just see these like Images that are just filled with color And expression and they're always moving Uh, And I just I love it This I wish this movie was four hours long (laughs) Yeah me too
1: I think you said um, that it was You know the visuals in this were ahead of its time And like I feel like that time still hasn't Come yet you know there's movies Still haven't really caught up to the The visual audacity That is you know speed racer
0: Um, A few closing notes. I do like how him and uh, Speed Racer and Trixie talk about, you know, the their kiss at the, you know, in victory lane in the beginning and they're interrupted by the brother and the monkey. And then uh, in the middle of the movie, they're going to kiss again and interrupted. And then at the very end, they finally get it. But once again, interrupted by the little brother and his monkey best friend in like a doctor <laughs> costume, uh, just the most like celibate movie. Uh, yeah. the be- that's what that's what I mean. Is this is the best celibate movie of all time. Oh yeah. Um, and I I also really love that image during the second to last race, during the rally race uh, that's off track and just across all these insane terrains where they get to be so uh, like, they get to explore so many digital textures and building all these different terrains that they're driving across. But uh, the men who are profiteering off of these races, you see their faces start to appear over the horizon with literal like dollar signs in their eyeballs. Oh yeah.
3: That was such an anime moment.
0: Yeah. That's just next level. So, Yeah, this is this is an amazing movie. I can't say enough about it. Like I could talk about each one of these races for half an hour. Uh but unfortunately, this isn't that type of podcast, so I'm just going to go ahead and give this five bullets and pass the <laughs> mic to whoever wants it next.
1: I'm going to give it uh five bullets. I mean, yeah, this this I really can't speak praises to this movie enough. It kind of reminds me of another movie, Days of Thunder, and it's kind of connective tissue there is that, you know, the desire to go fast and you know, if you want me to uh, get hooked on a movie emotionally and just, you know, like uh, general pleasure wise, it's just, it's about men or women too, but people mm-hmm. who want to go fast, like, I don't know. I think I relate to that. And as much as, uh, you know, I think Eddie, you've said before that Tony Scott is kind of like an analog master and the Wachowskis here are proving themselves to be like the digital masters. And Also, Ron Livingston kind of looks like Emile
2: Hirsch. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to give this one Five Bullets uh, as well. Uh, It's, I don't know, of course, a classic. I mean, there are so many things that we could touch on about this. One thing in particular that I really love that we only mentioned like a little bit. Um, was the sub, like, I don't want to say subplot, but just, like, all the scenes we get with Speed's brother, Spritel and his... Chimp chim chim. Like <laughs> I, like it it astounds <laughs> me that it, like one of the best movies of the last 20 years can have that like have a, a young boy and a chimp featured heavily and not be fucking annoying at all. <laughs> um that in its own right is like amazing <laughs> talent. But in terms of like uh what we're talking in relation to capitalism. I think one of the reasons why the sincerity really works for me and sticks with like this family unit uh, versus like cold corporatism is I feel like, especially for like online spheres, a lot of people tend to view socialism as involving like friendless nerds arguing on the internet. A lot like myself (laughs) included. But I think where speed racer really shines. And I mean, again, compared to like office space, it's like less about capitalism, uh, versus the individual, but sort of how capitalism has torn down existing structures that provided support, like the love and unity in the racer family is so beautiful and ties them together. And like, is such a strong structure, um, that helps them fight against, and I just all of the key moments in the film just hinge upon all of them coming together for like collective action against corporatism. It's uh, I don't know a great film. What do you feel about this flick, Timmy? Uh,
3: I mean, five bullets, like what? No question. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I obviously, I love this movie. Um. I, I don't know what else I could say about it. I, I will. I will say this though, as my sort of like unifying thought about it. I have, I have two. First of all, John Goodman, uh, King. <laughs> in this, in this movie, in general, he's just one oh, of my yeah. faves. His dick is probably bigger than I am. <laughs> um, and secondly, I the the one of the reasons, other than it just being very beautiful to look at. That the final racing scene makes me so uh, emotional when I watch it is because it is about speed as we see all of these like flashbacks to other things that we've seen throughout the movie come back to him as he is just ripping people's asses on the racetrack up to that point since about the midpoint he has been having trouble thinking of a reason to keep racing now that he knows that the sport he loves at least seemingly is a fraud and it's all fixed by these corporate assholes who just want to suck the joy out of everything in life for money and he finds a new reason to race in that scene and it is uh related to one of my favorite scenes which is when uh earlier on he's talking to his mother played by uh susan sarandon where she says that uh she goes to the races to watch him make art uh that when he's racing it's like watching someone uh make a painting or perform a song and i think that the the new reason to race that he finds is to make the magic that he and his family feel from racing real Mm -hmm. again and authentic again Uh, and I just think that's so powerful and such an amazing thing to have in a family film, and I think it's also, in a way, you could say that it is sort of how the Wachowskis feel about film, about, you know, I I think they're very much aware of the way that, that capitalism and corporatism sort of corrodes a lot of the magic of filmmaking. Oh, yeah, that's something I thought
0: about a lot while I was watching this, is, like, even if you're one of the few the chosen few who are so good at the thing that they love that they're able to have a job within the capitalist system where they're actually expressing themselves and doing what they want to do naturally obviously uh, a greater corporate interest is going to taint that and ruin it
3: (laughs) yeah yeah for real and uh yeah also um
0: a few things for this film's place in the canon of the show. Uh, and yeah, all it's like this movie's so dense that we're just getting to the real meat of it after we've already finished reviewing it. Obviously, uh, <laughs> that's how good it is. So watch it twice. How about that?
3: <laughs> um,
0: but for fitting it into the canon of the show, uh, the few times we've talked about Susan Sarandon on the show, I feel like this really fills out a uh, part of her range. You know, we've talked about bull Durham, And uh, obviously her small role in That's My Boy, uh, her role here is so, like, warm and reassuring and, like, really holds together so much of the almost unbelievable family love that's on display in this film, which, yeah, I think is uh, fantastic. And I forgot what the other thing was, so fuck it. We'll be right back to talk about Office Space. Nothing
2: him. No one seems
0: capable of stopping him. Welcome back to Extended Clip. Before we get to office space, um, anything else notable you guys check out this week?
1: Yeah, yeah. I checked out um, a little movie called Down and Out in Beverly Hills. And it's by Paul Mazursky, who I, I'm not too familiar with. I think this is the first movie I've seen by him. But I definitely enjoyed this. This is a, a remake of uh, Baudou... What's it called? That Jean Renoir movie? Fuck. Bodu Save from Drowning. Bodu Say from Drowning. This is a remake of Bodu Say from Drowning. Set in 1986 Beverly Hills, where you have um, vagabond Nick Nolte, who uh, just seems to know everything, um, tries to drown himself in Richard Dreyfuss's pool, and they form an unlikely friendship. And he starts living in, you know, the big Beverly Hills mansion, starts fucking every woman in there, you know, much to Richard Drivers' dismay. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's just a, a fun time, you know, some obvious satire, um, but it, it just works. And uh, one scene I, I like in particular is um, the, the dog, the house dog will not be, won't eat their food. And Nick Nolte gets on the floor and eats out of the dog bowl and the dog starts eating with them. And, oh um,
2: hell yes!
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh <laughs>
3: That's Nolte, the kind of shit I like to see?
1: <laughs> Nolte is going, you know, full eight mode in this, and um, <laughs> also features Little Richard. So rest in peace, Little Richard. Um
3: ah.
1: I'd also want to shout out the show I've been watching. Uh, Chrisley Knows Best. It's a reality TV show I've been watching with my parents, and uh, it's just about like this rich guy in the South who's like. I'm pretty sure, it's, like, the whole fun of the show is, like, I think he's closeted gay, but, like, he won't admit it, but he's always, like, making, like, references, like, calling himself a queen, but he's, like, married with, like, a bunch of children, and it's a really remarkable show, because there's literally no reason for this family to have a television show, um, and I think that's what's really interesting about it. It's probably the most scripted reality TV I've ever seen, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a riot.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and endorse that recommendation. What about you, <laughs> uh, um,
2: <laughs> go check out Knows <laughs> Best.
0: <laughs>
2: um, recently I haven't been doing a lot of flick watching. Um, but I did, I downloaded some shorts by this Belgian animator, uh, Raul surveys. And the one in particular, I just like, uh, finished watching was called the false note. Uh, it's from 1963. I like I mean we've talked we I am one the main proponent of cartoons being good on this show. Um, <laughs> and, but like they are the good cartoons are in short supply because it takes so damn long to make them. Uh, so I feel like the real artists working in the trenches are doing a lot of um, shorts and this surveys one is really fun. Um, it's like a 60s sort of like pop art style about like a really sad organ grinder with like a classic link, Abraham Lincoln ass top hat. Um, and he's going around <laughs> grinding that organ um, and like playing bad notes. The people don't really like him. It's like a very weird style where uh, the buildings that are in the background are just uh, different. Like types of money, like American currency, um, and stuff like that, just like laid over the back. It's really cool, uh, looking, but he, the organ grinder just dicks around a little bit, like pisses people off with bad music, and he dreams of, uh, playing a real, uh, church organ. And ultimately, he gets kicked out of the club by being like overwhelmed, like these, this, uh, a weird, like, sort of light show happens, Um, and he winds up meeting, like, a merry-go-round horse that sheds a single tear into his hat um, that he just saves and puts on his head, and then he goes home, he, he drops the tear out of his hat, it falls onto his organ grinder, and it makes it into a big real-life organ. And it's, like, a neat sort of, like, I don't know, playful style, um, but some classic, like, Looney Tunes-esque real cartoony gags Um, So it occupies a neat space and I'm excited to check out more of these uh, Cartoons of his that I've downloaded
3: Nice nice, Uh, I guess I could go um Sure a uh, movie that I've seen uh, pretty recently I've also kind of been off my flick game the last week or so but uh, children of men I had never seen uh, and I checked that out for the first time lately, and I really enjoyed it. Um, speaking of movies that get shout-outs in uh, capitalist realism, that also is one. Um, I Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, similar to the other movies we're talking about today, in terms of, you know, uh, and very prescient for our time, because it is about... Um, an apocalypse movie where the apocalypse has happened but society is still going on business and government that's still all happening uh people are still living their lives but is but it is with the knowledge that there is no future um which is uh, very much something that i've been feeling lately so it was it was good for that i also was happy that like you know the uh Sort of long tracking shot trend is sort of played out at this point, but I felt like this movie made pretty good use of it. Uh, I've I've also been re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender like a lot of other people, because it's on Netflix now. Uh, that's a pretty good show. I'm going to hold my tongue about Children of Men, because mm-hmm. uh, th- those who know me
0: know that I have certain feelings about Quaron that, you know not gonna get into today
3: oh if you hate um, it that's perfectly fine bro.
0: yeah no, I, I think it sucks but people are
3: allowed to like what they like uh, <laughs> no problem you f- motherfucker
1: uh, you're so benevolent man that's so nice of you <laughs>
0: um but anyway you know what i watched uh i watched bronco billy a film by clint eastwood now this is a film about a man who runs a uh, a sideshow, a little circus act in the '80s. He's a he's a sharpshooter, and uh, yeah, it's a really incredible, uh, sad film about a traveling act and the The woman that he gets to be his assistant after uh, injuring many other assistants in the process before she like her she's a rich woman whose new husband had just abandoned her and took in her took her money, so Clint Eastwood I guess technically uh, kidnaps her. Uh, at first, it seems, in classic rom-com fashion. uh, The kidnapping becomes a friendship and romance. And uh, it's a really incredible film about, you know, uh, the, the dreams of escapism, of movies that are, you know, really bleak when you try to replicate them in reality. And uh what it's like to just want to be a cowboy in a world where there's no more cowboys so yeah check it out it's like classic eastwood really leisurely paced for the first like hour and a half and then like you go back to like new york city during the third act and a bunch of shit goes down and you're like oh my god i totally forgot this was like a you know film set in the 80s and not before and it's just like such a the the entire third act just like gave me whiplash in the best way possible so uh yeah shout out uh fan of yeah shout out friend of the podcast clint eastwood
2: (laughs) i hope he's a fan of the podcast too that would be wild
0: (laughs) office space
2: yeah hi it's bill luke yeah, it's yeah, hi, it's Bill Lumber. Yeah, it's me again. Uh, I was away from my
3: desk for a minute, just checking in, in case you called while I was gone.
0: So, we've beat around the bush a little bit with uh, the late great uh, Mark Fisher. Well, let's get into it. Chapter six of Capitalist Realism uh, begins with Mike Judge's unjustly un- under celebrated film Office Space is an acute account of of the 90s, 2000s workplace, as Schrader's blue collar was of 70s labor relations. Instead of the confrontation between trade union, union officials and management in a factory, Judge's film shows a corporation uh, skeletorized? Yeah. Uh, no, scler, scler... Oh my god, this dude is too smart for me. Uh, Who fucking knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. uh Something by administrative anti-production. <laughs> uh, workers receive multiple multiple memos from different managers saying the exact same thing. Naturally, the memo concerns a bureaucratic practice. It aims to induce compliance with a new procedure of putting cover sheets on reports. Um, so what he's trying to get at, basically, and at what he does successfully get at, obviously, over the next couple pages is office space as a uh, representation of of the increase in bureaucracy uh, within these types of jobs under uh, capitalist realism or late-stage capitalism. And I think it uh, works pretty well as a representation of that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that Fisher goes on to describe that neoliberalism under the guise of like making systems more efficient ultimately winds up making there be more bureaucratic red tape because the perfect way to like sort of encumber something and bog a system down is by oh we're bringing in all these different advisors and consultants like much like what happens in office space and they just wind up adding more to the clutter than anything they do to actually fix it
0: yeah no i mean i think what what how he breaks it down the like this uh concept within the film uh a few pages and he says new kinds of bureaucracy aims and objectives outcomes mission statements uh have proliferated even as neil neoliberal rhetoric about the end of top down centralized blah 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 uh like it's these kind of uh like standards of procedure within these jobs uh that is driving people to want to go postal <laughs> rightfully <laughs> go ooh, ooh, a ball on them yeah exactly uh, so <laughs> w- what what is office space now that we've introduced it through someone else talking about it
3: uh, office space is a movie about hating your job and uh, for that reason alone I, <laughs> I give it five stars <laughs> Um but no, I uh, the thing that I love about Office Space is that it um, it's literally about the fact that dealing with the alienation of late capitalism requires literal hypnosis. <laughs> you 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 need to uh, trick yourself into being in a different state of mind to not want to fucking kill yourself. Yeah, and the fact that the guy, the dude who hypnotizes our main character Peter. Uh, and then promptly dies, which I think is pretty hilarious, um, is, is called an occupational hypnotherapist. So there's literally a whole dude who's, who's made a whole cottage industry out of hypnotizing people into being okay with their jobs. That is some bleak ass shit.
0: And I guess we we would come to understand that he dies from taking all of the trauma of his patients from uh, the trauma that is created by, like, the oppressive workspace of capitalist realism.
3: That makes the most sense to me. Either that or he just eats a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Probably a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah, you
1: know. I was going to say, I feel like uh, Mike Drudge's... Mike Drudge. Mike Judge's... (laughs) um, Mike judge's dry style kind of fits kind of like this dry oppressiveness that the office space brings with it's kind of you know Beyond like kind of like the you know alienation. It's kind of like the the Dog shit workplace humor or like the guy who can't stop talk about fucking at work Like it it really does (laughs) kind of hit all of the cylinders of like why it sucks to work like in a very Kind of exact and no frills way.
0: yeah um, I mean, so early on, like the, when they first go to the coffee shop, <laughs> he's just got that great line where he's like,
3: boy, I tell you some days, one of these days, it's just going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> just, Oh my God. Uh, so well, and then amazing. of course you have Milton who is literally muttering under his breath that he's going to set the building on fire for the whole movie. <laughs> it's so
0: great but of course like it makes perfect sense that fox was not fucking with mike judge during the making of this film and during test screenings there were things that uh you know were not well responded to and the the trailers that the studio cut were completely dishonest to the tone of the movie and mike judge hated the the advertising campaign that they went with and then after a disappointing opening weekend fox like pulled the film from theaters And it made like no money, but eventually became a cult classic on cable and home video, uh, just proving once again that the suits don't know what they're doing, just like this film would tell you. Uh, and it's so funny mm-hmm. that like he had to face so much studio interference, <laughs> so much bureaucracy uh, during the making of this film about people <laughs> being driven to either wanting to destroy their own life and workplace or become thieves because of the bureaucracy of their jobs. Yeah, definitely.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, um, there's one part in particular, I was just thinking as as you were talking about parts in the movie that I feel like I could imagine a Fox executive wincing in his seat while watching, um, and one of them is when he's being interviewed by the Bobs, and uh, he says something along the lines of, uh, it's not that I'm lazy, it's that I don't care, uh, because <laughs> if Inatech If Inatek, you know, makes such and such amount of money, I won't see any more money. And so I'm only motivated to work just hard enough to not get fired. And my favorite part about that scene uh, is that his honesty about his approach to work um, ultimately ends up sort of making worse like exacerbating their firing spree because they realize (laughs) just how hollow and pointless the majority of the jobs at the company are yeah um but they reward him by promoting him and i think that it's it's very interesting that this movie like Instead of just being about, you know, like a fuck your job guy. And then, like, this could very easily have been a dumb movie about he does something like that. But he's like, oh, I actually love going to work. <laughs> um, but instead he, you know, is is uh, put right up against the sort of machinery uh, of the whole thing. And uh, just says his piece and ends up uh, benefiting from it. Uh, but kind of... Um, inadvertently spelling doom for his friends yeah and uh i don't know i i think that's a a nice uh story it's a movie
1: (laughs) yeah during that during that meeting like it's literally like pulling lines from like marx's theory of alienation which is you know pretty impressive for uh south park libertarian mike judge to go full Marxist on us um, <laughs> but I feel i not to be misresponsible but I feel like we have not described what like happens in this movie at all kind of like I just want to give a quick rundown of what happens Ron Livingston aka Peter Gibbons in the movie you know hates his tech job and he gets hypnotized by you know occupational hypnotherapists into just being chill just not caring so he stops going to work and you know like like with them like referenced in the meeting with the Bobs um it kind of gets him ahead, funny enough, while his friends who you know are the top coders at the, the company get fired. So they kind of hatch this plan to hack the system and kind of scrape off the little extra cash that they make, for, uh, make from banks into their own account.
0: And along the way, he also has his romantic plot with the waitress at the uh, diner that they frequent, uh, played by Jennifer Aniston. And I really love this aspect of it, because you could have the criticism of this film that, like, it's a certain privilege to have the type of job to not show up and, like, have enough money to hold you up. You know, like, Mm -hmm. he, he can afford to just, like, start slacking off or whatever, Uh, And that the film represents like that hell of a workspace uh, and those guys go to escape it at the hell of a workplace (laughs) that Jennifer Aniston has to put up with. And it's like, yeah, I've never even had an office job. I'd probably take to being bored all day rather than like embarrass myself in front of customers serving food. The only type of work I've been able to have for the last however, you know, seven years since I entered the workforce like uh, So I think it's good at representing the fact that like it's not it's not the every person's dilemma. This is just like one phenomenon within the workforce kind of, you know,
2: and how it shows like service work. I think it shows that like the very neoliberal business policies like seep their way into industries where you wouldn't expect them to Yeah, like particularly yeah. the, like uh, of course the classic flair shtick um, and just like how it's, I mean how we had referenced earlier only doing the bare minimum and just how <laughs> that like, even in like a shitty fucking job where it's just like, ideally you should just be able to like give someone their food, like, clean up or whatever like do your job but so it just is perfectly representative of how so many times working as like a barista i've heard the phrase uh time to lean time to clean that it's (laughs) like you're you're fucking (sighs) like sucking the soul out of every minute like you constantly need to be working and how that sort of i don't know the contrast between those two realities
0: yeah. Oh, no, I, I love that for sure. And uh, this story might be apocryphal. This might be Mike Judge doing a little bit of uh, myth making uh, self mythologizing. But apparently TGI Fridays did stop making their waiters wear flair uh, due to people making fun of it because of this movie. <laughs> so yeah. my, that's Mike Judge <laughs> claims that As his contribution to society And I'll take that over like Idiocracy any day
3: Hell it's <laughs> more than
0: I've done uh, <laughs> By the way yeah this is definitely like the best Mike Judge maybe I don't know I mean I get no actually never mind, never mind. King never of the mind. hell? Never mind Mike Judge movie. Yeah, I this mean, is the like best Mike this Mike Judge against movie. the totality.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah. The this against the totality of King of the yeah, Hill. No, I don't know, but because no. uh, yeah, also sure.
0: during Speed Racer, I thought about the King of the Hill where he has to drive down the fucking hill in the RV in reverse. <laughs> oh my god, that is driving cinema god tier.
3: Uh, <laughs> also, I don't know if anything in this movie is as funny and brilliant as. Uh, Hank Hill hating George Bush because he has a weak handshake
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah also want to give love to Beavis and Butthead to America too I think that's a quality movie
3: oh for sure um (laughs) I I wanted to briefly mention Lawrence uh who's one of my favorite side characters in any movie ever played by Diedrich (laughs) Bader um and I, I like Lawrence, and I think his inclusion in the movie is very good, because he is someone who... He's dealing with a different type of alienation. And like you were getting at with the Jennifer Aniston thing, the good thing about this movie is it's not just about this privileged white guy in a white-collar job and his alienation from capitalism. It's about different kinds of alienation. Um, and Lawrence, uh, I, I don't remember what his job is. He's I like guess a construction he's... worker yeah yeah um he seems to be you know mostly you know fulfilled or okay with his job i mean he complains about having to wake up early um but he he doesn't have to deal with shit like people saying uh sounds like a case of the mondays (laughs) um but uh i like him because he is the uh the, the guy who deals with his alienation through the pursuit of pure pleasure you know i just go to work and <laughs> then i come home and i drink beer and i i look at titties on the tv and he looks out um, for his boy and
0: lets him know when the titties are on tv <laughs> that-
3: yeah yeah when when the best titties are coming on the tv so he can have a little because he knows his girlfriend's cheating on him he also has a
0: one of my favorite i i hate that like yeah okay what it's alluding to has become uh not become i guess i guess you would say it always has been problematic but the delivery of the line watch out for your cornhole is just delightful.
3: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> yeah oh yeah lawrence is like what every guy that like ron livingston aims to be kind of like somewhat carefree like uh hedonistic in a way that's not self-aware like lawrence really is living the dream compared to like the office drone mm. milton or ron livingston
3: i was gonna say i think this movie especially with how it ends um you know with uh, uh peter becoming a little bit more okay with his work life when he's doing physical labor that you know there there's an actual like end goal in sight and he's not just updating code for some bank shit um, and he is working with Lawrence. So, in a way, he is sort of aspiring to become Lawrence, to just enjoy my life in my downtime and, you know, do my uh, nine to five. And Lawrence, I, I think it's very telling that when asked what they would do if they had a million dollars, Lawrence says two chicks at the same time and Ron says nothing.
0: Lawrence, what would you do if you had a million dollars?
2: i tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man.
3: (laughs) That's it? You you had a million dollars, you'd do two chicks at the same time?
0: Damn straight. I always wanted to do that, man. And I think if I were a millionaire, I could hook that up, too, because chicks dig dudes with money. Well, not all chicks. Well, the type of chicks that double up on a dude like me do. Good point. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is the key to the film. I think is that exchange, uh, and you know, <laughs> the true duality of man, or at least the duality of me. Uh, whether I want to do, whether I would want to do nothing <laughs> or this, two checks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's really it, it's got it's all or nothing. Yeah. Like I don't see the problem.
0: And to get into some of the other aspects that are represented by the side characters, of course you have the guy who. Uh, pitches the like uh, what's it called the jump to conclusions board whose idea of capitalism (laughs) is have one great idea make a million bucks off it and never have to work again like the guy who made the pet rock and it's like look that's a version of capitalism that works for some people, I guess. <laughs> and then well, you also and- have the, the gangster rap element personified by one of his best friends who, and like, yeah, that can be a little corny. Like, it's a very basic juxtaposition of nerdy white guy listening to gangster mm-hmm. rap. But I think it works well for the film.
1: Yeah, and also, I'm just happy to hear some, some gangster rap, like a gangster rap oh, soundtrack. Yeah.
0: Including like one thing, lyrical reference to Speed Racer. Thing. He's flying in the blazer, like ghost speed racer, but I ain't gonna I ain't race a Rex,
3: but I won't flex, till it's time to have sex. I forget who it was that you were telling me about JT that had an interesting take about this movie's use oh of gangster it, was, rap. it
2: was a friend of the show uh Nathan uh, I can pull up his uh, letterbox I mean not to just completely crib His uh, his letterbox. No, let's do some cribbing. Uh, No,
0: for sure. Nathan Nathan's uh, one of the closest friends of the show in the regard that we could just steal from him. I guess if we want to.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, he said Nathan Smith. Uh, There aren't many movies about rap music, even fewer capture the power and energy of the genre and the culture that surrounds it. Office Space in some way manages to be one of uh, of these movies. While Mike Judge aims for surface level laughs with the juxtaposition of uptight necktie wearing white dudes uh, with the music of cannabis, slum village, ghetto boys and others, he reveals important truths about the intersection of middle class white drudgery and black music. Uh, particularly in Michael Bolton's rejection of his pop star namesake and identification with the raps of say Ice Cube um, and that's sort of the beginning point of what he's saying about that yeah. but i really dig that and i think it does like of course. the way this movie handles like mm-hmm. race i mean i don't want to give it like too many points but i think there are <laughs> <laughs> i think there're like some interesting things in regards in like that respect um, there's one scene where it's like, where they they, the, the fellows feel like they're fucked because they're, um their money their money laundering scheme sort of fails a guy knocks on the door selling magazines and says he was addicted to crack (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that winds up being a lie and he's actually like a software engineer and so they try like they try and exploit like this black guy in a sense to like help them and like find a drug dealer and so that like gets played like spun on its head and they ultimately wind up Buying like uh vibe magazine subscriptions uh from him so i think i mean like that and i think the use of rap music do have some more interesting stuff i mean i would say the main issue with race comes across in the character samir um
3: yeah yeah but it's his know, it's hesitance
0: funny. to join on the heist i think speaks volumes to a, yeah. like, privilege
3: well and also the fact that no one can pronounce his name um, yeah that too and, and like,
0: apparently that line of uh not going to work here anymore was improvised which is one of the funniest deliveries in the owns. movie yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think I think this movie has a little bit more on its mind than it may let on at first about that yeah. kind of stuff.
0: Uh as the movie winds down, uh the, the heist works a little too well in the sense that it didn't work at all because they just got three hundred thousand dollars right away instead of fractions of pennies. Uh, So, very nervous. Everything falls apart. The romance falls apart uh, because he thinks that uh, Jennifer Aniston fucked his boss, which of course means that he could never look her in the eyes again. (laughs) Uh, And then... uh,
3: She's fucking ruined. I mean yeah. fair point. like fair the point. the clerks
0: uh how many dicks thing. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't if he didn't feel
3: cucked by his boss before. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh he has the the dream <laughs> sequence of his boss fucking is amazing. Um oh, yeah. also the use sweaty cheek go ahead by his
3: boss is like I've had so many bosses that just say <laughs> go ahead before they tell me oh, to do yes. some bullshit. I I very often quote uh, whenever I want to disagree with someone I go yeah I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there (laughs) so good Um,
0: so the office though does burn down of course as was predicted by Milton the whole time he says he's going to burn down the place he does it Um, (laughs) so the evidence is essentially wiped and it's more about uh, (laughs) like the end result May feel a little null and void, even though he now has found this slight new freedom in physical labor, which might not last very long for him. Uh, realistically, I don't think it will. At would. least
3: he's probably unionized.
0: Could be. Could be. <laughs> Who knows? But I think that. Uh, that destruction of the workplace due to like an overload of stress due to the contemporary form of capitalism, kind of throws back to a kind of highbrow classic from thirty years prior. Uh, it reminded me of the the deconstruction of the workplace set in Godard's Tuva Bien, uh, that kind of open-ended set, much like the, the set of Jerry Luce's The Ladies' Man that they use in that film, kind of deconstructs the space. And then this takes it a step further by just destructing the space of the workspace uh, or of the workplace rather. Uh, and I think that that's an apt upgrade from moving from 1970 to the oppressive hell of neoliberalism.
3: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> speaking of i was just looking through the notes i took for this movie and one of the lines that i had written down speaking of oppression of neo of neoliberalism is uh the nazis had pieces of flair that they made the jews wear
0: <laughs> so i think this is a really effective film in what it's trying to satirize i think that mike judge is not exactly a good director on a formal level uh he directs the performances really well i think but this is a film where the cinematographer quite literally taught him about camera placement and lenses on set and so it's definitely a directed-by-cinematographer-type movie with no real visual style to it. Uh, There's a couple of gags visually that work, but for the most part, yeah, it's kind of flat in that regard and probably why it's more of a cable classic than something people responded to in theaters. But I still think it's a really good movie, Um, and I'm going to give it three and a half bullets.
1: I'm going to give it three and a half bullets, too. Like Yeah, like I said at the beginning, Mike Judge is pretty cut and dry, and I feel like, you know, in a way that could... Uh, if that interacts with the text, it could be like a good thing, but it doesn't quite do that. I can't give it that much credit, but um, yeah. And I think this movie, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those movies that got talked about a lot that people kind of forgot it and like maybe cinephile circles or maybe disregard it. And you know, it's, you know, it could, you could easily say, Oh, you know, there's been movies about how work sucks forever. But I think what's great about this is that it kind of updates why work sucks in 1999 And um, Mike Judge, I'm waiting for Idiocracy too. Please deliver. (laughs)
3: Um,
2: Yeah, I'm also going to give this one three and a half bullets. I was like – I mean similar to Malcolm like going into this, I feel like I was uncertain because this is like – I don't know. Office space for me was always such a part of like early internet culture (laughs) where like Bill Lumberg was memed out. Like of course there's like – Uh, so many like old photos of big white text uh, underneath him, like holding his coffee mug, leaning into the (laughs) cubicle um, that where I felt like I was like, oh man, I've seen the jokes of this like played out in other places so many times. I I wasn't sure if it was going to hit, but it really does. There's a lot of charm there. And I feel like I missed watching this as a kid, like, The knowledge of how bad, like, work actually does suck. And so, um, yeah, it struck a a better chord this time around and uh, really funny.
3: I am going to go ahead and give it uh, four bullets. Um, It's just always been one of those reliably funny comedies to me. It wasn't until the sort of most recent rewatch or a couple of rewatches that. I really looked into it any any deeper. It was also the first time that I had watched it in a while, uh, and in that time, I had actually gotten a job and sort of understood where it was coming from. Uh, and I especially think that looking at it, especially you know, when I first read Capitalist Realism and then rewatched it, looking at it through that lens is always a very interesting. And I think one of the things that ties both this and Speed Racer together are uh, they are both movies that. I think are about, you know, li- like you said, um, there have been movies about how work sucks for a long time, but I think these two are very accessible. They're very relatable in very different ways. Um, and where Speed Racer expresses that in a very formalistic way, uh, Office Space is, you know, a pretty straightforward, uh, just, you know, funny scenarios, funny characters, straightforward sort of script um, take on things and uh i i I just think it's uh one of those classics um a staple of the time period and all that stuff
0: great well tim thank you so much for coming on the show Um, thanks for having me where can the people find you
3: uh i have two uh youtube channels called timbo and timbo 2 um on the first one is where I talk about movies, uh, do movie reviews of just anything that comes out in theaters that I've recently seen. Not a whole lot of that going on right now, obviously. Um, but (laughs) I'll, you know, also talk about other pop culture sort of stuff. Um, and Timbo two is where I, uh, play video games, which I also do on my Twitch channel, which is, uh, official Pope Francis. (laughs) um and uh um uh, i don't know my letterbox is pale movie man so you can check me out there
0: yeah you can find us at extended clip 69 i'm at ipod underscore video
2: i'm at bitch face palace i'm at tallboy thin legs
0: and it's looking like um that's pretty much gonna do it for season one of extended clip uh this is our 52nd episode that makes a year and uh, next week we're gonna be coming at you with the the thrilling premiere of season two. Find out what happens after the cliffhanger of this week.
2: I hope they don't kill me off. We did it, boys. Proud of us.
0: Uh, next week's gonna be a special episode. We're gonna do like a triple feature of uh, a couple of our favorite movies. Or yeah. Going to do a triple feature of our favorite movies, some of them at least. And uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. The inbox has been a little dry lately. Let's work on that. Yeah. Okay. Bye.
3: Work sucks, I know. Work sucks, I know. She left me
2: roses by the
3: stairs. Two chicks at the same time, man.